Namaste. The philosophy of the Upanishads. Ordinarily, philosophy as we know in Hindi, the word is significant, is darshan. So it is based on, all of us have a tendency to have some kind of a philosophy based on our observation of life and our understanding of life, of the things around us. So if we look at life, we see a mixture of happiness and sorrow and we form a kind of philosophical framework in which we put things and we try to navigate through life through that. For instance, we see what we understand as, uh, you know, seemingly fortunate events, seemingly unfortunate events. So we form a philosophy that, you know, it's a question of reward and punishment based on what we believe is the highest. So we uh, create a sense of justice in the universe and from there we derive that we should do good so that we can get a reward and we should do, uh, we should shun from doing bad lest we get a punishment and then reward and punishments are also understood based on what we regard as reward. For instance, being successful, we may regard as reward. And we believe that if somebody is successful in life, has a lot of money, is uh, because he has done good in previous life. Because in this life, we may, we may find that, well, uh, he is as far from good as uh, anybody and vice versa and so on. But this is much later, this thought crept into the human mind. The Upanishadic seers were much wiser. So they could see that this phenomenal world is ever changing. It's very limited. And they could also see, which is amazing how they could understand it. Modern physics has led us to its doorways that our observation itself is limited. And why it is limited? Because you see this world is ever changing. Morning it is one, afternoon it is another, evening it is another, night it is something totally different. So, is there a stable basis to this ever-changing appearance? And is there a truth, a reality behind all this? And they went in search of that reality. And based on what they found, they gave these some fundamental truths about existence, which out of which many subsequent darshanas or philosophical systems came. Philosophical systems came in... You know, trying to, they each one took one angle of vision and based on that it built a whole philosophy. But the Upanishadic seers were much more keen on seeing the truth. Is there a truth? Is there a stable basis? Rather than philosophize about it. And what they discover is something very interesting and compelling. For instance, they discovered to start with that indeed there is a truth behind this entire phenomenal ever-changing existence. Shubhinda puts it in Savitri very beautifully, a truth occult has made this world. So this truth occult, why did they call it truth? Because it is unchanging. The nature of truth is that. See, it's such a wonderful thing. It's something which doesn't change. It was, it is and it will be. Now, they discovered that yes, there is a bedrock of existence, a stable basis, which is ever unchanging. You go through any door, you will reach there. It's an unchanging existence. So this unchanging reality, unchanging truth, they use the word Brahman. So if you don't get into the semantics of words, well, this is the first discovery they made, that there is a truth behind this ever-changing world, a stable basis for all these, what they call as the phenomenal appearances. So what is this truth? Is it something impersonal, mechanical, etc.? So they again discovered that you can approach this truth from many angles. Depending on your angle, truth expresses itself this way. Because the many angles are at themselves aspects of that one. So if you approach with this uh, idea that truth is impersonal, it meets you as an impersonality. If you approach truth as, you know, it is personal, you discover that it's a personal reality. And then they discovered that, well, all these are woven into a Godhead or a or God or being. It's not just a mechanical truth which is not changing, but it is a being. And it is a being which is the bedrock of all existence. And this being is also the origin of all creation. So this was the next thing that they discovered, that it, he is the, there is a truth, which that truth is a being.
Now, what is the difference between saying that truth is not a being, it's just, a, you know, nowadays there is a tendency, it's a state of consciousness, it's a uh, pure existence. The difference is that when we say that it is a being, Purusha, then we can actually come in contact relation with it. Otherwise, there is no support within us to come in relation with it. If it's impersonal, it has nothing to do with our personality. But he is not just an impersonality, but a supreme personality. The Gita puts it in very bold relief. It brings out that supreme personality, which is hidden in the Upanishads. Indicated, is there in the Vedas, is there in the Upanishads. When he says that, oh, that Godhead describes that Godhead and says, literally the Rishi says, you show me the law of truth, remove the veil. Again, when it says that Nayamatma Pravachani Nabidana Bhavna Shutin Yamaveshavranute, when the self chooses to reveal itself. So that self chooses, it's not just an impersonal reality which by our own efforts we can pierce through it. Yamaveshavranute, Tene Labhyas, Tasis Atma, Vivranute, Tanu Swam, it chooses to reveal its body. So it is a being. Which means we can enter into relations with this being in many, many different ways. Subsequently, we see the paths of yoga and of course the Gita brings this out in a very beautiful way. But they are implicit in the Upanishadic thought. The third thing is that they said that then how did creation emerge? Later, Upanishadic understanding or Vedantic thought uh, created two opposites. One is this existence, second is Maya. But that's not how they saw it. They saw it that this whole creation emerges from this one truth. So it emerges in a manifold way. It's just like a prism. You let a um, plain white ray pass through it and it breaks into many colors. And that power which changes the one into many became Maya. So Maya, whose Maya it is? The Maya of the Ishwara. It is the Lord's Maya. It is not something which has suddenly come uh, and has trapped us, veiled us and uh, the only way we can get our Maya in the sense it's illusion, unreal. That's not what the Upanishads say. It's a later understanding. How can it be unreal when it is born out of the real? It is like saying the red is unreal, the green is unreal, the blue is unreal, only white is real. No, the red, blue, green are inherent, implicit in the white. So what Maya does, Maya literally brings out of the infinite all the finite possibilities, which is something very beautiful. It means that the, the work of Maya is that it, it is the Maya of the Lord. He wants to manifest himself in countless ways. So Maya comes and takes out of the one infinite possibilities, because it's infinite, and starts projecting all these things into the play of time and space. Are they real? Yes, because they are born of the real. Can we say that, you know, that is unreal because of it? No. All this existence owes itself to that. And to understand this, we have to pass through these doors and get back to the real. Now, what used to happen is that one goes into the real and says that all this is unreal. If one has missed the prism, and that's what Shurabindo reminds us that if you don't see the prism, you suddenly... Out of this multiplicity, manifold existence, take a jump into uh, the one, you miss out the connecting link. And that's how some yogas take us. But the Upanishad very clearly tells us that, well, those who live in the manifold existence, who don't know the one, who don't know the infinite, are in darkness. But they who leap into knowledge and the one are equally going into a greater darkness. Meaning thereby there is a link, connecting link and it hints at the link. Because they emerge from the one, therefore the wise one, the liberated one, the sign of the really enlightened person is that basing himself in the one, he plays with this world of multiplicity. Vidyancha, Vidyancha, Yastadveta, Bhayamsaha. So one has to understand the law of truth. So this law of truth is a very interesting thing. You know that phrase in the Isha Upanishad, Hiran Mahina Patrina. Now we have all kinds of laws which we... Uh, social laws, moral laws, uh, religious laws, um, laws of the city. Now that's a different thing, laws of the city and <laughs> laws of the administration. But what is the law by which, with which we should live? So ordinarily, again, each one of us, depending on our limited philosophy, um, forms a um, you know, law of his own existence. Now, Upanishad brings something very interesting. He says, it says that this law of our living is based upon how we define and describe our own self. So it says, first discover yourself. And 
देर आर पीपल में से अरे एवरी डे प्रॉब्लम भी है वी हैव रोटी कपड़ा मकान एंड ऑल दीज थिंग्स वॉट आर यू टॉकिंग अबाउट डिस्कवरिंग आर सेल्फ नॉट रियलाइजिंग दैट एवरी थिंग इन दिस वर्ल्ड डिपेंड्स अपॉन वॉट इज आवर आइडिया ऑफ सेल्फ एंड देन शुरबिंद वेरी ब्यूटिफुली डिस्क्राइब्स इन वन ऑफ इज अर्ली बंगला राइटिंग्स ऑन ओपनिशद सो इज सेज वेल इफ माई सेल्फ इज द बॉडी देन आई विल डू एवरी थिंग फॉर माई बॉडी सेक एंड बिकम ए डेमन See, after all, who is a demon? He identifies himself. We see the later Puranic story of, you know, um, Indra and um, Virochan. Both go to uh, Brahma to ask about, uh, tell me about the self. So Brahma says, look into my eyes and see what, and see what you see. So they see, and uh, uh, after that, because Brahma is the originating creative word, na. So you are literally looking into the self through that, and then. uh they both go their ways and virochan says i saw my body so body is the self he is the king of the asuras indra says but how can this body be the self because it is described as something unchanging stable but my body is changing all the time as i age it begins to change you see the question of the sphinx but in a different way how can it be the self so he goes back to brahma and says i am not understood so he says again look and again he goes back so this way he goes through a series of as per one of these stories 108 times but even if we leave aside the numbers and figures ultimately discover that yes if we keep looking beyond we discover the true self now see the principle of life uh, how it gives us a way of living if my self is the body you know sometime back in the history books it used to be taught perhaps still it is taught that man is a social animal then why won't i behave like an animal social animal is at the most concerned with the law of the pack i may be fine with those who speak my language and belong to my area but with others i'll be like an animal because it's a question of struggle for existence this is the philosophy which has emerged out of the entire western world survival struggle for existence but in indian thought it's not struggle for existence but the struggle to discover the one existence that which cannot die that which cannot change so based on that now if my self is the desired self shrubindu gives a very interesting example when he speaks about desired self he says now again if i take that my wife is myself then i will be a slave bent down to all her desires and caprices even if they are uh, you know they contradict uh, my own inner workings if she desired that uh, the friend my friend should be Uh, harmed i will harm her because she is myself and it will lead me again to acts which are dark and dangerous if i take desires to be myself then automatically my life will be towards enhancing the field and scope of my desires then what is the self or again if i take my mind to be the self then i'll revenge ideological wars my thought versus your thought my opinion versus your opinion but these two change the thought of a child changes as he grows into adolescence the thought of a adolescent changes as he grows into adulthood thoughts of an adult changes as he grows into uh, you know um, uh, uh, older age and this is what is very interesting that how these ideological wars because they identify the mind as the self so we see you know recently after the movie suddenly there were people who belonged to a certain religion who had committed the massacre some of them really discovered that why did we do this why did our parents do this they felt ashamed quite naturally but why did they do it because they identified their self with a particular ideology and the more limited the ideology the more the danger that one will harm others because it's the self so all else is unreal is not self and not self is falsehood so this is how the whole cycle goes my religion my god my thinking my ideology it's not based on yoga but it becomes a belief system in which all must believe so he said not even the mental self so they went still further and then they discovered truth so this is the first thing that the upanishad tells us that this self cannot be realized as long as we are in the mind because mind takes a certain approach and angle and it's okay it's valid for human beings but it's not true each opinion is at the same time true and false 
depending upon how you it's equally true that god is it's equally true that god is not as one of the mystic puts it very nicely tu hai bhi aur nahi bhi it depends on how you look at it another equally one can say he alone is that's what the upanishad affirms that there is nothing else but him so mind cannot understand things beyond the mind mind cannot understand even itself mind cannot understand this life mind cannot understand ourselves mind cannot understand the world so what did the upanishadic seers uh, brought into you know in terms of philosophical system we speak about so i remember once giving a talk to a whole group of doctors so i said you know the upanishadic thought is a top down view because this is the language everybody understand so what is normally we have the bottom up view what is the bottom up view well god is a fantasy why because i don't see him god is an imagination why because i don't see him this is because i identify with my sensory self but the upanishad says that well this sensory self there is a higher and higher grades of senses which awaken in us the more we as we transcend the limits of the human mind because senses are nothing but projections of the mind mind is the sixth sense so as we upgrade the mind newer senses begin to emerge we begin to develop the intuitive sense we begin to develop the subtle sense why because the mind is being upgraded so they focused rather on the ascent of the mind towards something which is greater than the mind so this became a top down view meaning thereby first discovered that one reality and then looked down upon creation to understand it if we are standing here we'll understand neither ourselves nor god of course we can speak about him on coffee table discussions it doesn't matter we can weave all kinds of fantastic things but the one thing is to discover that out of which all is emerged this is what the gita brings so beautifully as the ashwatha tree it's one of the most wonderful things you know that means if i really want to understand if i really want to know about anything i must discover that so what does it mean if till you discover what does it mean it means that till we discover that should be our main focus meanwhile we'll have a provisional understanding of life knowing that it is provisional knowing that it is relative because obviously we are moving in a world of relativity i can't say that you know well i have heard that you know that story about uh, mahavat brahman and the elephant brahman and the man getting beaten black and blue by the elephant because you know he says all is brahman not understanding it by experience so the upanishad also says these things are not the subject of debates and discussions so upanishadic seer don't indulge <laughs> i have not seen any kind of you know it is so because it is so it is so because it is that nothing they just describe what they have seen see the truth and they give us a path so they don't want us to remain in a belief system they say this self can be discovered this another very wonderful discovery you can discover it anybody can discover it but to discover it you have to fulfill certain conditions because we are caught in a world of relativities and ignorance you have to fulfill certain conditions it's not like okay i'll can discover it okay one day i'll wake up and discover it that is sloth that is inertia this is a kind of effort and the upanishadic seers each one went through a certain path and that we'll talk about uh, i think there is a talk on you know the various practices given in the upanishad then we can talk about it a little more in detail but it is discoverable we need not believe we can all that we need is the fire to search it and shobhinda gives a very interesting you know analogy that to try to understand truth through debates and discussions in the mind is like standing on a tree top with a little candle and trying to understand the whole forest he says rather what we should do invoke the sun and in the sunlight you can see the whole forest you can walk through it so they were so much keen that's why the godhead they called surya he is you know beautiful invocation every time we start tat savitrvaram rupam the most auspicious form of the sun the effulgent they used this image they used to use image image of the two oceans the image of the rivers 
and they use this image of the sun they were not talking of physical sun like you know one of the famous uh, uh, words which is uh, so much misinterpreted is that you know uh, the rishi is invoking indra uh, with his thunderbolt to chase the demon so that the sun can emerge so they said oh acha it's a night sky clouded so indra's thunderbolt is the lightning so they were very afraid of natural phenomena rishis so they were praying for the sun to come as if by their prayer the sun will come earlier and when the sun comes they know that at least you know the and the maruts it also talks about maruts that they were praying to the wind god chase away the clouds and the sun god which will end the night so therefore it was a barbaric way because they didn't understand nature forces well they understood much more than what we can even today understand so who is the sun sun is the truth he is covered by the night of ignorance and the clouds of doubt so who is going to chase them away who are these maruts maruts is the life force the five fold prana in man so when we learn to balance the prana it's not about just pranayam when the life force runs smoothly it's not you know gone into the desired self and endlessly it's lost into that maze then these clouds begin to be chased away and then yes of course the thunderbolt the lightnings that cleave the intuition begins to dawn and this intuition eventually prepares us for the coming of the effulgent sun of truth so this is how it was so logical to their inner life and to anybody's inner life anybody who takes to yoga understand that you know these doubts come and who were these rakshasas they speak about the six demons who are the six demons they are of course the well known kaam krodh lobh mohammad matsar you live by that then obviously these demons are having a field day and they don't allow so they drag all the energy and turn it into the desired self what the yogin has to do is to take this desired self and take those energies the the cows that are hidden in the caves of the panis take those energy and take it upward and upward that's how you know rudra comes and with a violence he breaks and lifts these energies up but vishnu the all pervading does it in a very different way he starts balancing everything and gently but when rudra comes very violently he breaks and releases these energies and they go up so it's so much real and vivid to the inner life they were concerned with the inner life of man because according to the upanishads behind this outer personality there is the true person and that true person is the inner being of man we are so much engrossed in the outer personality both in its upkeep its presentability to impress people it's a way of life the dress you wear the perfume you have used all our life today based on a philosophy we have drawn from the half baked understanding of the west and then now we add to it oh you know no body is important because shurvind has said so yes the body is important keep it in good health balance harmony he is not saying you must try to you know all the time be occupied with your dress and put the best perfume so that you can impress people that's not what he is seeing body is an instrument in the upanishads the body and mind the outer personality is an instrument of the divine self and where is the divine self seated he is within us how can we discover it very logical reverse concentration draw the energy from the all the time occupied with senses what that person is doing what he said what he looks like so all the time the senses are engaged in all these scattered phenomena that's what scatter brains are produced so what we should do we should bring it back by process of reverse concentration how did this come into being because from that one truth top down view it consciousness came 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 and lost itself in the inconscient that is the lower ocean aprakritim salilam but that lower ocean is the shadow of the higher ocean the sheer sagar so this from here the journey begins so they looked at journey of man so beautifully nowadays so many people youth ask what am i supposed to do the journey of life all kinds of philosophies come what does the upanishad tell us about life it says life is meant for ascension 
for discovering the basis, the roots of life. Life itself will lead us to that. Through action, through life, we must discover what is its origin. It's like going all the way from, you see, Mother put it so beautifully, the mountain path always leads us in two directions. To the glorious summits or facilis descensus, descent into the abyss. Equally one could say the Ganges leads us into two directions. And you see it is so symbolic. The dirtiest part of the Ganges you will find in Ganga Sagar where it's Hugli Hugli where it is, you know, nearing the Ganges. Why? Because it's carrying all the... So that's one path. That's the, that, that is the path where one enters into the darkest, densest darkness. The Upanishad doesn't speak explicitly about it, but that's hinted in the Gita that those who are, you know, which is often misunderstood. Those who are evil doers, what do I do to them? I cast them into more and more Asuric births. Oh Lord, why are you doing like this? Why are you punishing people? It's not a punishment, even this is a grace. How come? They will touch rock bottom. And then the Gita also says, even the most adham, even the most fallen, if he takes my name, he should be regarded as a saint. So he says, when they touch rock bottom, that's when they understand and they start calling Krishna, 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 I'm inside the well, save me. And because of that intensity, don't we experience it in life when everything is very nice, wonderful? Then we are actually going downward. And when we touch some such, then we say, Oh Lord, where are you? And suddenly the hand pulls us up. So any which way, so this is one way towards Ganga Sagar. There is another way. Go upstream. That's what we see in some of these yogic scriptures. Very beautifully described. There is a story of Buddha actually. That uh, this lady Sujata, I believe she is. she was some... Uh, kind of, you know, vibhuti of the Divine Mother. She had sent her by inspiration. So he, she gives him the key and gives him the clue. Don't sit uh, so tight that, like the bow which is so tight that you cannot, you know, bend it to, as an archer and send the arrow. Don't let it be so lax that you cannot shoot the arrow. So, the middle path. But then Buddha does something very interesting. This story I have heard in different versions, but one of them is Buddha's story is that after drinking, to his own mind, he says, well, if this is true, that this is the path I must take, then when I release this, uh, you know, it's a dona, I don't know what is the English word for that. Well, it's a vessel made out of leaves. It's a typically Indian vessel used for prasadam. And so nice, use and throw, original, not plastics. Now we discover plastics are bad. It's the most natural thing. Please... Eating food in uh, leaf is one of the best things that one can do. Very hygienic. Eventually it goes back to the soil, nourishes the soil. And just as an aside, I was so happy in London going to one of those restaurants where they had this served food in this patal and they said, eat with hands, writing 20 things good about the hand. But I always believed this is the most hygienic thing because you wash it yourself. Uh, that fork and knife somebody else is washing who knows how many people have eaten with that it still carries the impression so anyways that's an aside so he picks up that uh, patram and says I'll put it in the stream and if this is true may it go upstream nothing goes upstream but it goes upstream it's a very symbolic story if we take the other route longer journey it's very easy to flow to the ga- uh, to the sea and vanish But if you take the upper stream, then what happens? The journey gets more and more difficult. And there is a point where no vehicle helps you. You can't just plunge into it, say Ganges will carry me. You are going upstream and eventually you reach that little point where you don't know that little water dripping through the glacier, Gomuk. Then you stand and wonder, but where is the origin of the Ganges? Then Lord Shiva says, here, here, look here, Chandra Shekhara. So you go to him. He said, no, this is also not the origin. Origin is still above the higher ocean. So this going upstream, so top-down view, the current has flown down and lost itself in the unconscious. Any which way we go, we will discover the one infinite. Again, the Puranic story of Brahma and 
Vishnu going up and down the Jyotir Lingam, Shiv Lingam and you know and one of them comes and tells a lie that well I found him the end and Vishnu says I didn't find the end and that's why Parijat is cursed <laughs> not Parijat there was that flower Shifali I, don't, I forgot in the flower let me not flower will that is Parijat Mogra. Anyway, some flower, flowers will excuse me. I, I may take a wrong name. But, you know, the flower is cursed. <laughs> you will not be used for worshipping God. And Brahma is told that you, nobody will ever pray to you. But the story is very symbolic. It's not about Brahma telling a lie. Brahma has to deal, create a finite creation. He has to find an end. If Brahma is lost into infinite, there will be no creation. By his very nature, he has to, by the power of the word, the infinite must become finite. So while Brahma is the creator, he still cannot find the infinite. Even Vishnu cannot find the infinite, but he knows that there is the infinite. So something very fascinating about this tale. So this is how these stories went around and the Upanishads, out of the Upanishads all these Puranic tales came. They were another way of expressing the same truths. There are some people based on purely English commentators who say Vedas and Upanishads are very fine, but Puranas are not true. It's not true. Puranas derived from the Vedas and Upanishads. Of course, wherever there is a contradiction, go back to the Vedas. That's the general rule in Indian thought. That if you see a contradiction, go back to the Vedas and see if it is there in some form or the other. If it is there, then it's authentic. That's how we have authentic Puranas and Puranas which are not authentic. But Puranas were also the creation of seers. They were not ordinary people. The Upanishads are creation of seers. So it's a continuation. This tendency to cut Upanishadic thought from the Vedas and from the Puranas and from the Itihasas has done a great damage to Indian psyche. Because in the Upanishads we see an integrality of existence. That which is above is also that which through the branches is below. It draws its breath from there. Matrishwa, that is the origin. So this later, so what happened when Upanishads were cut off? Okay, we'll take only the essence. So they took the essence, the pure jnana. But Vedas is not only about jnana. Vedas are also about karma, which was later on became karmakand. They are also about, you know, um, Again, there is a the psalms, the hymns that are sung in praise of God. Samvet. So, that was removed. Only the kernel was kept. But Upanishads, the seers never regarded themselves as cut off from the Vedas. It's from the Vedas that they were taken out. How can they be separate from the Vedas? And then subsequently the Puranas were again following the path of the Upanishads. The Rishis discovered. So, Upanishads were not like a shut and closed book. So Upanishads kept on adding up. So it's very interesting. Like for instance, we have now Shurabindu Upanishad. How is it Upanishad? Because he is a seer. He has seen and he has written that in the style of the Upanishad. What is the style of the Upanishad? It doesn't follow logical reasoning because it knows that through logical reasoning you can give an argument in this way, you can give an argument in Another way. So, for that, there is the darshanas, the purva mimansa, the uttar mimansa. That method is different. That we see later on debates and discussion, but that was not the way of the Upanishad. It says, discover the knowledge, that knowledge self, the true self within us, and then look at this world. So, Puranic, they were also seers, but they just chose to put that knowledge in a different way, in the way of stories, in the way of parables, which is so much easier, like Sri Ramakrishna. Through number of parables, he has revealed truths. Shubhinda himself, the mother, through parables they reveal the truth. But of course, Shubhinda at every level, even at debate and discussion, he has revealed in the life divine, he gives arguments and counter-arguments, much like the Pur Mimansa and the Uttar Mimansa. So meaning thereby that in any case to discover the truth, at some point one has to transcend the mind and the thoughts. It cannot come by analysis. Any amount of analysis cannot lead us to that. It can only come by taking the plunge, diving deep into the upper ocean and climbing towards there. This is so what was it they discovered that one infinite? What was it what was its constituents, if you may ask? Well, it is unknowable to the mind, but still mind can know it 
as the one being and what is that one being he is existence he is consciousness he is bliss sachidananda so if you look at it it's one of the most profound truth ever uh, you know uttered all the upanishadic truths are like that what is its practical ex- uh, expression whole world of understanding comes from that everything exists it is an existence but this is a finite partial existence that is infinite existence consciousness awareness and power force everything has a certain degree of awareness even in the completely lost electrons make apparently a choice it's subconscious awareness it's there if you treat an electron as a particle it follows the way of the particle if you treat it as a wave it follows the way of the wave depending upon the observer the observation changes it behaves actually the word used is behavior of an electron why should it behave thus precisely because there is in it a subconscious awareness and that subconscious awareness expresses itself in such a way in everything there is a little little awareness even plant is aware now even modern discoveries speak about it so because why because it has some degree of consciousness and all of them have a certain degree of force in the atom that force is completely involved just a little bit is released and that is enough that if you unlock it it can blow the world people are more scared of atom splitting than you know of anything else so there is everything is a limited conscious existence and everything is consciousness which means certain kind of knowledge awareness certain kind of force and then everything is bliss the easiest way to get hold of the divine in everything there is an inherent partial bliss limited bliss that's why we get joy in all the objects of the universe and this joy runs like a sap through creation there is no other logic to live even today you ask a person why do you want to live what is your goal i want to be happy of course this is the most ignorant way of putting it i want to be happy of all the things in the world how i will be happy that's where the problem starts if i get this if i get that why because again a very limited state of uh, finite so finite joy so but because we don't know this truth that the one sachidananda is within us so therefore we try it by outer ways i have a little happiness if i add to this this person's happiness that person this ultimately i must have all the who is a super asura he says i will have all the three worlds then i will be happy that is the road happiness tracing itself to bliss but in the process he implodes because you cannot do it by the ego self but the ego self can take to that point where one can become the master of the three worlds trilokadhipati we have uh, ravana jalandhar they were all asuras but just by the ego self they became so much swollen because they harnessed powers through which they could even bind the ways of the gods the paths of the gods they could do that and that created more and more disorder and chaos in the world like we do today through artificial intelligence and all these things but so vishnu has to come down and uh, lord has to take care of that so this was one approach that well bliss is hidden there is a need for it so we keep on adding finite things consciousness awareness there is a seeking for knowledge because again infinite knowledge is within but how to have this infinity so if i read from here there are 100 journals in the world but it is so much is being like as a medical student i was so much surprised when i came to know that the amount of discoveries researches that take place in one year if you read through the day it will take you 18 months to just read that much and next year it is all going to change <laughs> but that's how some people think so they read books after books after books and lot of scholarly debate discuss that they'll discover the infinite knowledge no because any number of multiples of finite cannot give the infinite this is a profound philosophical truth of course it's there in german philosophy uh, i mean other philosophies also just all it is about that 
You cannot add up and make the one infinite. Infinite will remain infinite. <laughs> Whichever way you want to multiply, divide, it will remain infinite. So, and that's what it says. The infinite is there in every element of creation. Upanishad says this profound formula. You can't divide it, cut it, multiply it. It is there as something in, inherent within creation because it has limited itself so the seemingness of finite. Then again, force. So everybody wants to have more and more force. My force is limited. Force of wealth, force of possession, force of uh, contact with politicians, big people, this, that, industrialist. But at the end you discover that all this force cannot save you from fear of a disease. Worse than the disease itself. And then existence, we all exist. We want this existence to multiply. In ignorance, what do you do? There are religions we say, have more children. That is the only way you can multiply existence. Like animals. Animals breed like that, no? You see, animals do that unconsciously. The animal which lives least multiplies much more. You look at rabbits. They have so many children. The animals which live less but they are strong and mighty. Elephants and lions. They don't multiply like that. Some human beings follow the path of the rabbit. Hair-brained. They want to multiply because they think if you don't multiply existence, their own. They, they think existence is my body, my religion, my cult. So they want to multiply this way. And God says, do whatever you want to do. Infinite is infinite. But this is another way which the Upanishad gives us. Any amount of multiples will not create the one infinite. <laughs> you can't do that. You can take up all the numbers from two onwards. Add them. You cannot get the one. You have to divide. Divide two by two. What comes? One. Two ones are two. You divide four by four. You will get one. Means you remove that. You will have the one. <laughs> so it's something very fascinating which one can see everywhere. So the path they said is that yes we seek infinite. And that, this is, these two terms are very amazing. The Upanishads given, have given us infinite and eternal. Eternal you will find in some of the uh, writings in uh, the western poets. They speak about you know holding eternity in a grain of sand. William Blake. Lovely. Eternity is little. Eternity is about time. It's possible that there is a moment in which we seems that it is like an endless moment. Though it's not eternal. But it can give us a reflection. But what is infinity? Infinity can only come when we transcend finite. Which means transcending space. Which means transcending name and form. That's what constitutes the finiteness. Time is about movement. You give a pause, click a pause button in life. Be engaged in something. That's why it's easier to experience the eternal. That's why people speak of the eternal now and all this they speak. But they don't speak about infinite. Because infinite can only come when you open the doors of the mind flung open and go beyond all the limited name and form. You discover the nameless and the formless of whom all these are forms and names. So why should we discover and why this creation? Because root yourself there, then play with the finite. Then there is this is a perfect law of living. One is not afraid of death. Death is of the body. Does it mean that I give up my body? No. The Upanishad says no. Why? Because the infinite is manifesting through name and form. Fulfill that. Fulfill the will of the divine. The Isha Upanishad says that. Doing verily works in the world. This later on... Extreme thought, as I said, cutting off the Upanishad, giving it a pure illusionist twist. Maya started becoming a creator of illusions. All this created this confusion, which subsequently, you know. But look at the Upanishad, it says, no, this is not the way. Even the Kane Upanishad, what does it say? That is the truth and not this which men adore, but it doesn't disconnect them. It says, from there you live, that is the station. And you cannot know it with the mind. Indra cannot know him. He can meet her as the divine being. 
which is you know what uh, he is always the unknowable but all creation is of that that's why the victory is the victory of the eternal in man so they, he is there eternal but he is also engaged in this creation he has become this creation so this is the fundamental way to live discover the infinite discover the divine self live with the sense of eternity what does it mean to live in sense of eternity one practical example mother was asked by uh, some disciples mother some of your beautiful paintings in louvre and other places we should get them mother smiled and said my child we live in eternity we live in eternity not this you know so many things sure in the own manuscript subsequently many of them were discovered after they and we are so keen oh let me publish a book i have you know, a few things ready let me publish articles look at that live in eternity that is the kind of shubindu the whole arya why did he start because mother asked him to start it unfortunately there is there is a story which has been spread that the mother's husband gave a uh, this is not true mother herself has said this is not true it was at the instance of the mother that he started releasing through the arya <laughs> we see this you know what is infinite we see shubindu's works infinity pouring into finite forms names letters sounds words meanings so many meanings layers you can and yet it remains herself yet she remains herself and infinite so this idea of infinite means you can never really limit truth into any fixed dogma cult religion belief system it's the great liberator of all these cults and creeds people do interfaith dialogues no interfaith dialogues will leave us nowhere upanishad says this is not the solution but discover the infinite when you discover the infinite you are freed from all dogmas automatically you are freed you don't have to become an iconoclast you don't have to do oh but parasti you, you may break the outer idols look how stupid it is idols are not outside there in the mind of man it is the mind that creates the idols outside how are you going to break the idols here <laughs> you are not going to pick up a hammer and start hammering their brains people do that but to discover that which is beyond the brain beyond the mind so once you then you see the connection between this and that so this is the integrality in the upanishad that we discover which got lost over a period of time they became a purely vedantic thought which has to be taught in some ashramas with some people wearing you know um, renouncing the world upanishad doesn't speak about that it says renounce the ego is the ego and the desired self that covers the one who is hidden within us so in the end they tell us one of the greatest truth again the gita speaks of three great secrets one of them is this that the divine is hidden inside the human body where is he through 101 strings it ties itself to the body so what happens during death all these strings are cut that is a pain that we experience at death sir how to discover these strings these strings that take the form of attachment they emerge i am attached to this the more we are attached the more we will be pain people often ask how to get rid of fear of death simple get rid of attachment any attachment be it the body be it your relations be it your name and fame be it even work I mean, I am amazed. Shurabindu did not wait to even see the whole Savitri in print. They actually hurriedly brought out at least one part, nineteen fifty, and the other in you know. Subsequently, he did not. It's his most important work. He himself says, and yet he did not wait. Okay, he could have easily prolonged his life another one year at least. Let me see this wonderful work. We live in eternity. from there comes this other great truth no conversion no propaganda when somebody asks the mother mother we should do this or that to you know she says my child the sun does not need to announce itself it shines in the splendor beyond everything and we can discover that same sun which is there 
the divine, that same divine being is within me. I can discover him again by going inwards from the attachment, roll the strings of consciousness that I scattered. See, people say, meditation mein mushkil hota hai. Kya? What is the mushkil? My mind wanders. Where does it wander? It wanders upon all the things we are attached to during the day. All those Bhut Pishaj wake up and they start meditation. The wife comes into mind. Meditation, the husband comes into mind. The work comes into mind. This comes into mind. That person. Why? Because we are attached. So first thing we learn in meditation is what all we are attached to. Take the sword of discernment and break free from these bonds. Shurashya dhara nishitha duratya kavyo vadanti. Namaste. So we can take a quick question if there is any. One question I have, sir. Uh, you mentioned uh, finally there are three truths. Uh, so, you know, you said about the divine is hidden in us and, uh, you know, like the sun, it should be, you know, resplendent. And, yeah. so, and what yeah. is the third one, sir? I didn't get the third the third one actually I had said earlier and it is about the multiple approaches through which one can approach this oneself. So that is the second, three fundamental truths. And the third is, of course, there is another one which is that we call him as such existence, consciousness and bliss. So these are the, he is the one, number one, first truth, that there is a truth which is there behind, it's the being with whom we can come in contact the second truth is that we can approach him through many ways, many approaches. Again, a liberating formula. Why? Because he's infinite. We cannot limit him to this approach, that approach, and also because each finite holds the infinite, is or rather is held by the infinite. That's the great truth. That out of the full came the full, and you subtract the full, and yet it remains full. Meaning thereby with anything, you pick up a leaf or a stone and worship it. Say, I want to discover the infinite within it, one will end up discovering the infinite within it. Profound truth. But easiest is to discover within, he is seated there. And the third truth is, he is existence, consciousness, bliss, Satchidanand. Because all other things come from that. We are all the time wanting that infinite Satchidanand. But we are doing it in ignorance. So we go through a long passage process. It never complete. It brings frustration because we still want infinite existence. We still, so that's why people have these generations. That's why they take great joy in Mera pota ka dekh Let me see my grandchild. Let me see my grandchild's child. What is it? It's because in ignorance we want to have children. There are many psychological truths come from that. But I have not discussed about, you know, because shortage of time. For instance, the energy that goes into reproduction is the same energy which transmuted becomes new creation. So, old creation perpetuated through reproduction. What is it? It's trying to create uh, more and more existence by your own death. So, that's why the mother says sexual process as death. Turn it inward and upward, it becomes the means of new creation. So, there are many, many things which get derived. But these are the fundamental truths from the Upanishads. Out of which later on yoga came, and because we'll be having a talk on the ways and methods, so I've you know kept it for that. <laughs>